Just a minute. I'm coming. FBI, open up! Just a minute. Hello, everybody. This is Legal Man. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a good episode. I'm going to continue my little series on war in kind of a roundabout way and talk about the Revolutionary War and what led up to it and show people that the fairy tales about the founding of this country are just that, fairy tales. This was a typical war like every other war for resources and land to attempt to try to make the rich people in this country richer. And that's all. And all the rest of it is a, an absurd, transparent fairy tale. And for people who don't know me, I'm a lawyer. I'm America's most trusted and beloved lawyer because I tell people the truth. Truth, like I tell them in this show, truth about the constitutional conservative movement and the lies they teach, because I was a constitutional conservative myself for years and years and years. Believed all the fairy tales about the Constitution, the brilliance, and the liberty, and the fighting for rights, and my representation, and all this other stupid crap, until about 25 years ago, when I got the internet. And I was able to actually do research on my own without having to go into the Library of Congress and when I got the internet, within a, just a few short years, I figured out that it was just a scam. It was all a con to keep me on a taxpaying plantation. And these constitutional conservatives and media are just a bunch of grifters. And when I figured that out, I became self-certified as a master practitioner. And I don't need constitutional conservative grifters anymore because I know what they say is lies. I have also given myself a Lifetime Achievement Award for the incredible work I've done on hundreds and hundreds of podcasts explaining the way the system actually works to people. And... Recently, when Jones Plantation, the movie came out, I played Mr. Jones. I awarded myself the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest medal that any civilian can give themselves. And I gave it to myself for that. And I think I earned it for the incredible job I did. And I love having fake awards and credentials like that because credentialing and awards like that are the control system. They make sure that people must learn certain officialdom before they can be licensed or registered or certified in some form or fashion, and then they have to spit back all this officialdom. And if you step out of line, they take your license or registration or certification, they destroy your business and practice, and you're ruined. And that's how they promulgate propaganda and keep people in line. And everybody saw how it worked during COVID with the doctors and the nurses. If you stepped out of line, they crushed you, not just on social media, but they would go after your license as well. And they do that in every kind of area around. Like I said, you have to have a license to cut people's hair and, and to trim their fingernails. This is how intense the control system is. And this is how deep the lies are that they tell in every form of fashion. They have to control everything because if they don't, then the truth might slip out and they can't survive the truth. They can't survive the truth. That's why the truth is completely off limits. Okay, enough about that. Let's go ahead and get this show going. So I was out in L.A. for the Jones Plantation movie screening. And while I was out there, on the way out there, I saw a bunch of stupid stuff. And when I got out there, I was pretty shocked. And it was entertaining, but uh, the place is, is full of uh, pretty much gays everywhere. It's just all the guys look gay and all the people themselves... Uh, it's just a bunch of people that look nothing like me. It's a zero-trust society. It, I was not impressed. I hadn't been to L.A. in about 20 years, and wow, has it gotten weird. The touristy areas are weird. Everything about it's weird, and it just started me thinking about how fake the economy is out there. It's fantastically fake. I've got a business I'm involved with, and it's located out in San Diego in parts, and one of the guys that works for us 
as a contract labor guy doing some stuff, he also drives Uber and drives these Uber deliveries. And he delivers food like these boba straw, those big fat straw drinks to these people in Southern California in the San Diego area. And I was just thinking how insane it is. He says he spends a huge amount of time just picking up different food orders from multiple places to bring them to people. And that's what they do. And that's supposedly the economy. And what I saw out there just confirmed all of the fake economy stuff I've told people again and again and again, that the economy is completely fake. And the economy in California is one of the fakest around. And it's a cancer that spreads out from there. It's all specifically designed to make sure they can spread this cancerous liberal horseshit out into the rest of the United States. It's been going on for decades. The vast majority of the economy out there is either aero defense kind of contractors, fake high-tech businesses with basically data information collection, the massive entertainment industry, and this real estate fakery. And the real estate really drives a huge, huge, huge amount of it. And when I came back, I was laughing with a buddy of mine who came to visit, and we were laughing about the trip I took out there. And and it got me to thinking about the fakery that is that real estate scam out there and started really wondering about the rest of this kind of real estate scammery. And I was wondering how it was that you could, as a so-called settler, etc., come into land possession as we moved west in the United States. Because I've I've told people again and again, the United States, the Constitution, the Revolutionary War, everything about it was all being driven by a land scam. And the entire fantasy story about demanding independence and no taxation without representation and the 3% tax on some tea or something, these are all fairy tales that are told to the people in order to confuse them and to make sure they never catch on to the reality, which is the entire purpose of all of this was to simply get land, have free land, cheap land for large numbers of the elite, and that every single thing about it points towards that. And when I was doing some research into how do you just go get land as a settler, I came across a bunch of interesting different little tidbits, and I thought, you know what, these might make a pretty good episode in that whole little war series I've been doing, because I think that the war series, even though I'm not going to do them in order, is an important series. And I thought, wow, you know, what I was learning about it, the insane kind of stuff I was learning about it, made it very interesting to me because I first looked up sort of the Homestead Act in 1862, and I read some of that, and then I looked at the land ordinance of 1785. Of course, that's happening during the so-called Articles of Confederation. So what you've got at that point is a very uncentralized government that the so-called United States is operating under. And that ordinance is really the ordinance that pretty much opened up the land to the west of the Appalachians. And people don't understand this, but I want to make this kind of episode at least in part, about the war. And so people understand that war is never about what you're being told in history books and what you're being stirred up to believe. The Revolutionary War was basically fought about land and the idea that people go out and speculate and go get land. And the rich people like Washington, who were heavy, heavy, heavy land speculators. And that just meant that they supposedly owned or had purchased land way out beyond 
the Appalachian Mountains in these other territories that really had never even been looked at. And so I thought, well, how did this even happen? How does this even fit together? And it was very interesting to me. And I want to give people a couple of the key pieces just to show you that war is never about what you're being told. That's just it's never the case. The Land Ordinance of 1785 was really this massive piece of legislation where they chopped everything up into these square blocks and they numbered them and they left some aside for public schooling and some aside for the federal government and some aside for mining. And then they supposedly sent people out there to do surveys and then they sold some of it and they also allowed people to go out and live on it in certain ways, improve it and then buy it after a certain amount of time, etc, etc. All these things kind of exist and this is why the land offices were important and how you could ever prove it. Nobody really could ever make any sense of how you ever prove it, but the bottom line on the war side of it is that all of that began even earlier much, much earlier when Washington was fighting in the French and Indian Wars as a young soldier and he was getting together his colonists from Virginia to go fight on his behalf, one of the things they promised all these people who would go out and fight on England's side in this French and Indian War was that when you won, you would be able to get these massive free land grants from the British government. That was a huge incentive. It was one of the main reasons he became a soldier, and it's how he recruited people. So you basically, instead of the recruiting posters of today, you would go around and say, look, if we win, you're going to get thousands of acres of this land that's out there. It's going to get given to you for your service. And even though people understood this was going to be somewhat risky and things like that, it was kind of like a contingency fee for a lawyer. And Washington was heavily, heavily invested in this. Of course, he married a very, very wealthy widow and started buying up land himself through them. Thousands and thousands of acres had all sorts of land west of there. And the reality was you had this French and Indian War. And he was out there. He was known as the town destroyer because he was such a murderous, bloodlusting human being that he would lure the Indian braves out of cities and towns and villages they were in and their settlements. And then when they were gone, he would run in and kill the women and children in there in order to destroy the morale and to win the war in this French and Indian War. And the entire French and Indian War was being fought over this territory that was in the middle of the United States, which was east of the Mississippi, but west of the Appalachian Mountains. And this was something that the French claimed. So it's like, well, I don't understand how the French even have this land. Well, they traced their so-called claim back to some dude who went there and landed and planted a flag and just said, this I claim for the kingdom of France. It's utterly moronic. But then the English are fighting, claiming they're entitled to it. And of course, it ran all the way up through Canada and these other things. But the bottom line is that they're out there. The Indians uh, have this entire organization called the Iroquois Confederation, which had its own kind of constitution. And some people say our constitution was roughly based on it. It was a bunch of tribes that got together and they were concerned that these settlers were coming to take their land and trying to fight them off. And so most of them fall on the side of the French. And then they later uh, split and some fall on the side of the British, some fall on the side of the French. But ultimately what happened is they just get betrayed every single time because the French were going to screw them and so were the English. And the bottom line is this war, the Seven Years' War. I remember hearing about it. I can't keep it straight. The way they teach it is so confusing in these government schools. But the Seven Years' War in, in Europe was actually about the land in the United States, the 
powers, superpowers over there were fighting over all this land that they were all attempting to get colonized, filled with their own people, and then control. And the French and Indian War was simply an attachment to that. And I have to go into all that in order to show people that ultimately all of this stuff about the tea tax and everything else, it's a total fantasy. It's just a complete fantasy. I'm convinced it's as much of a made-up load of shit as the September 11th, 19 terrorists and everything else, the Gulf of Tonkin, all the other stuff with the Tea Party in Boston, all this shit. I doubt it ever even happened. If it did happen, it's probably all British agents. But regardless, you've got Washington, who then later leads the Revolutionary War, fighting in this French and Indian War and making a big name for himself and raising these armies that would run around and do these raids and kill people and basically murder women and children all over the place in order to try to make sure that they were going to be able to expand out to the West. Like I said, there was all sorts of land speculation. Land speculation just meant that someone came to you, claimed they had a claim to this huge tracts of land through either grants by the French king or the British crown or something like that, and that you could speculate in it, and they'd sell it to you for a certain amount of money, and then you had to go out there and try to stake a claim in it. And that's all land speculation was, but it was going to be huge business. So what happens at the end of the Seven Years' War and the French and Indian Wars, which are basically the same thing? There's something called a Treaty of Paris signed in 1763, and the British win. So Washington and his men win, but they don't automatically get their land grants. In fact, what the British crown does is kind of semi-screw them in that that's when that proclamation comes up. I've talked about many different times of 1763. In October of 1763, the British crown no longer allowed the colonists to simply go west of the Appalachia and settle in lands. Anything they wanted to do west of there, they had to purchase from the crown. So all of that other land speculation that was going on, all the claims they believed they had, those things were all washed out under this proclamation of 1763. Well, needless to say, the people who'd been fighting that war, especially George Washington, was pissed because this was the way you got rich. Unlike, as I've told people again and again today, the difference today is that the way you get rich is by playing this game with the fake money and the Fed. That's the system. That's why those people will never be on our side of getting rid of the government. What they were trying to do with the Revolutionary War was to make sure that the colonies themselves we're going to be able to go west of the Appalachia and simply take this land that they claimed they already had or had bought from these people and or simply settle it themselves without having to pay anybody for it. If they could get it and keep it, that's what it was. The colonies wanted to control that. In other words, the colonies wanted a situation where they could spread west and their own governments, in other words, the people who were rich controlling those governments, would in fact be the ones who benefited from all this stuff. That was west of the Appalachian. That's really what it was all about. But in 1763, the crown put a nix on that and said, no, you can't move west and just go out and settle the land. That's no longer permissible. Well, this was a gigantic blow to people like Washington. This was totally and completely unacceptable to him and all the other elites who made their money like this. So they immediately started agitating for some kind of war. That's what actually happened. And then when war finally did break out and the colonists ultimately ended up winning, of course, the French were on our side. Why were the French on our side? <laughs> Why were they on our side? They're on our side because they were trying to do the same thing. They were trying to do the same thing. They were trying to get back into what they had lost 
because when they lost, they had to cede all of that land that was east of the Mississippi, west of the Appalachians, over to England. So they lost all these claims. They lost the claims to Canada. They lost everything. They were hoping they could get it back. Maybe if the colonists win, the French can negotiate something. And this was the way of the world. This is all these things were ever about. Today, all the land is locked up. They don't really move it around. Most of the wars now, you don't really change possession of the land. You change these governments and these banking relationships as opposed to the actual land because the people have all been completely and totally conned into believing these governmental things are what you all have to obey and that if you so-called lose a war, well, then you just have to obey the next people that step in. But let's look at what's actually going on during this period, this very long period, really, looking at 25 years, 30 years worth of kind of period there where they're fighting about the expansion to the Mississippi River. And they knew there were Indians out there, and the Indians were somewhat organized and pretty helpful, but they also had no idea what they were up against. But you can see how they get incredibly betrayed, of course, as soon as the British lose. In 1783, there's another Treaty of Paris. There's over 31 different treaties that are called the Treaty of Paris. <laughs> They're all the time. They stretch for hundreds and hundreds of years. So when someone just says, oh, it's a Treaty of Paris, you have to figure out which one. Well, the Treaty of Paris is what settled finally the so-called American Revolution. And when we had, at that point, the Articles of Confederation, which was in charge of our so-called government, during that time is when the Land Ordinance of 1785 was adopted. And that's the one where they broke it up into these squares, one-mile squares, multiple-mile squares, six-miles, seven-miles. They had all these things, and they divided up the little sections. They numbered them out. Anybody can look. And, in fact, I will attach the Land Ordinance of 1785 that I used out of Wikipedia because I love to use Wikipedia, not because it's so fantastic and in-depth. It's because it is the absolute most standard narrative you can ever get. So it's the absolute most standard narrative you can ever get. And they had that. Basically, almost immediately after the treaty was signed, there were some proposals in 1784, and then it was kind of finalized in 1785, and the people were just gushing out there because they already had one in 1784, a land ordinance, and they updated it. And then 1785, they kind of reached a conclusion. But people were already rushing out there because one of the most key provisions of the Revolutionary War settlement, the agreement, the peace agreement, was not that they'd have peace and they could represent themselves and no taxation without representation and all this other shit. What happened was the colonies were given the authority to control the land between Appalachia and the Mississippi. (laughs) They were then put in charge. No longer did you have to go to the crown and pay the crown and not have a rights, all that speculative land was now completely and totally turned over. Those guys got even super more mega rich as a result of it. Again, back to the points I've made again and again, which is that the rich people back then were looking to get super rich by winning that war. The rich people today have absolutely nothing to gain by having any kind of so-called revolution. Anything that hurts the United States government crushes their entirely ridiculously fake wealth that they have through the fake dollars and the fake businesses that go on. They're not land rich. They're not land rich. And that's not how you make so-called wealth today. The land is all controlled by these governments. And it's true that some individuals have large land holdings, but even those things are dwarfed by the artificial construct of money 
that's been created with things like the Federal Reserve and the Bank of International Settlements. Literally billions and billions and billions, hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars in this fake value. So here you are. You've got this situation where the war history we're given is this total fantasy. And then when you simply look into it, you realize what it was actually about, which is just land. And when you look at the way it actually was constructed, you see all the interested parties and you see all the ways that they were trying to manipulate the situation to get regular people to fight to help them out. And of course, regular people were also actually aligned with this land scam because they wanted to go out there and get free land too. They wanted to go out there and basically just kill Indians and take land and mark it up and claim it as their own. And there's infinite numbers of problems, of course, with trying to claim, how do you know this is your land? Who says this is your land? What is a valid grant? Where is it filed? Who says anyone owned it? As I've already showed you, the original French, that has no real basis in anything. If someone gave you a land grant and you bought it from somebody who has no claim to it, how is that a claim? How is this claim by the United States government? any kind of real claim. They want it from the British. How did the British have it? The British didn't have any right to any of this. They'd want it in a war from France who had no right to it. And so all of these so-called claims and titles and everything else, they're all just totally and completely artificial. And this is what war was always about. It's always been about. It still is about. It's about money and power and resources. That's what it's actually always about. And all this nonsense about terror and all, this is all just fakery they put on top of it. Fighting commies, fakery. All the stuff is fakery. It goes back all the way into the founding of this country. It's very, very fundamentally a land scam. So you have a situation where once the colonies got in control of it, then they started gushing out into that area. And they started, again, abusing People who were out there who'd helped to fight on the side that helped us to ultimately win. And then, like I said, they split themselves up because some people thought the French were going to be more help against the Brits and then against the colonists. And they had no idea what they were up against. They had no idea they were going to be, in effect, millions of people brought over. They had no idea what was coming. And they had no conception of the kind of ruthlessness, the slaughter that the settlers, so-called the elite pieces of shit, you can watch today just bomb people with gelatin gasoline. Those were the so-called patriots of 1776. They were willing to do anything to the Indians and anybody else who got in their way in order to make sure they got more and more and more land. And they covered it up with patriotism and fantasies for the fools who didn't understand the real game just to drag them in. They made them promises they couldn't keep. Most of the people who fought the French and Indian War, they never got their land grants. They never lived to see their land grants. The land grants they did get were probably all stolen by the other people who were the officers in charge. It was as it always is. The poor people fight the wars and the rich people reap the rewards. But the point I wanted to make about this show on the war was that the idea that the original wars that this country was founded on were in any way some kind of holy war regarding liberty and independence and the fantasticness of the founders, that is all complete and other crap. Complete and other crap. And I want to read from 
a little bit because I looked into Washington as a land speculator and a man who was a cartographer, meaning he liked to go out and he's obsessed with maps. He had a big library, but he hadn't apparently read almost any of the books. They were all gifts. Mostly he was interested in maps because mostly he was just a fantastically obsessed, money-hungry man who wanted to gather more and more and more and more and more land. And in fact, when we did finally, Thomas Jefferson negotiated the Louisiana Land Purchase in 1803, what was that all about? That was the expansion beyond the Mississippi. And how did they get it? They bought it from France. Well, France, again, had no claim to it anyway. And why would he sell it to us? It sold it to us because it knew it couldn't hold on to it anyway. It figured Miles will sell it to the United States because we can't hold it ourselves. They're just going to go across there. If we get involved in a war, we're going to lose it anyway. Let's go ahead and get paid. So they had to do that. But again, we have no basis. But I don't want to get into westward expansion because that's a whole other story that needs to be told in the war kind of series. This one is strictly about east of the Mississippi and this incredible amount of war that went on, this incredible amount of turning on the Native Americans who helped us, the slaughter, the cover-up of all of the real reasons for the American Revolution, the fantasies about the founders themselves. And I want to give you a little bit of an idea about Washington himself. When he died, apparently, his will had 52,000 acres in it over all sorts of different pieces of the states. The interesting thing is that he has some letters, and in the letters, he does discuss the issue of this proclamation of 1763 and the fact that he'd been involved in this war fighting for it, and now he's feeling like he kind of got double-crossed by the British crown, and what an incredibly duplicitous man he is in public life versus his private life. And I want to read a little bit from one of these excerpts of a letter, which again, this is just the most briefest kind of research. Anybody who wants to look into this stuff will find this stuff immediately. And instead of being able to see this stuff, people just accept these fairy tales about chopping down cherry trees and him being so popular People would make him a dictator and all this other complete and total fantasy. And let's listen to one of these letters from 1763 that he wrote to a man named William Crawford, who was a Pennsylvania surveyor about 1763 proclamation. Here's what he said. I can never look upon the proclamation in any other light, but this I say between ourselves, he says that in a parenthetical, than as a temporary expedient to quiet the minds of the Indians. It must fall, of course, in a few years, especially when those Indians consent to our occupying those lands. See, he already knows. He's going to be screwing these guys over, too. Any person who neglects hunting out good lands and in some measure marking and distinguishing them for his own in order to keep others from settling them will never regain it again. Got it? So he sees a proclamation. This is the so-called law from the crown. He wants to get around. He's going to go out there. He knows damn well that nobody's going to obey it. He's going to pretend to obey it publicly, but privately he's going out there to so-called hunt and mark the land off that is his own. This is what he's going to do because he knows the Indians, we're just going to screw the Indians later. If you will be at the trouble of seeking out the lands, I will take upon me the part of securing them as soon as there is a possibility of doing it, and I will, moreover, be at all the cost and charges surveying and patenting the same. By this time, it be easy for you to discover that my plans to secure a good deal of land, you will consequently come in for a handsome 
quantity. In other words, he's dealing with this Pennsylvania land surveyor saying, look, you go out and find it. I'll make sure we can get it. Well, how did he make sure? He made sure by going and stirring up the Revolutionary War under this fantastic premise of freedom and representation and taxation and tea and we demand liberty and all this other stupid crap. Here he is sending a letter asking him specifically in a parenthetical to keep this between ourselves. You like that? <laughs> you like that? Well, there's more to it. So I'm reading from a actual government website, the government website of Washington's papers themselves. There's some more stuff. Washington was clearly willing to take considerable risks in seeking out choice land for himself. In the same letter, however, he warned Crawford, quote, to keep the whole matter a secret rather than give the alarm to others or allow himself to be censured for the opinion I have given in respect to the king's proclamation, close quote. He concluded by offering Crawford an alibi should his behavior be called into question, quote, All of this can be carried on by silent management and can be carried out by you under the guise of hunting game, which you may, I presume, effectually do at the same time you are in pursuit of land. When this is fully discovered, advise me of it. And if there appears a possibility of succeeding, I will have the land surveyed to keep others off and leave the rest of time and my own assiduity. (laughs) Close quote. In fact, the letter marked the beginning of a very profitable 15-year partnership less than two weeks after he received it. Crawford informed Washington about several tracks in the vicinity of Fort Pitt, and the two men continued to collaborate until Crawford's death in 1782. You like it? You like that? So that was basically the period from 1763 when it happened all the way through the Revolutionary War, when at that time... Washington secured the ability to go get that land. (laughs) You like that? So that's how easy it is to find out that the fairy tales that people are told about war, every single war is always the same. What the people are told is a pack of lies. Hi, it's Legal Man. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you appreciate the unique insight and information I provide, then go over to my Patreon account for The Quash and become a member. I have bonus shows and material, early access, and it's a good place to meet like-minded people. I have people ask me all the time, what can we do, legal man? (laughs) Well, start by voting with your pocketbook. It's the only vote that really counts. Support things that tell people the truth. Getting people to understand the truth is the only solution we have to this insanity. Look, I get it. There are a lot of people who can't afford to support my show with money. But there are a lot of people who can. And if you can and you like the show, you should support it. That's what free markets look like. The people running this scam, they have unlimited funding. I don't have support of that system. In fact, I get harassed because I tell people the truth that they don't want the people to know. So we have to stick together. So go sign up. Now let's get back to the show. So that's... How easy it is to find out that the fairy tales that people are told about war, every single war is always the same. What the people are told is a pack of lies. The people are there to fight on behalf of the elite 
and their desires. And the people believe the stupidest shit imaginable now about patriotism, the flag, and independence, and representation, the stupid constitution, and all these things. And this is what it's actually born in. If people understood what it was actually born in, they wouldn't be so anxious to fight for them. But of course, I've also concluded that at least 80% of the people are just complete morons. There's absolutely no reason to even bother brainwashing them, which means like a systematic attempt. And I think that's why history is so clear, that all you really have to do is swing through a town, say some things, rile some people up, and you can get a large percentage of people to rush off and believe it. But that other percentage of the people, the 25% or so, who aren't so easily persuaded because they're a lot brighter, they need to be brainwashed. They need to have systems. And those people are either in on the scam, which was the situation in our Revolutionary War, and is in the situation all the time in all these other wars with the military-industrial complex and all the people who benefit from it. And of course, the police state is now just another war on all the people and the people involved in it are simply getting rich. And as I've said, the nature of war has changed very much from outright land and possessions to this other thing, which is to control populations and resources with electronic means to lock them down. That's what war is really about now. And you can just see that the intelligent people that might be on our side, that 20, 25% who are kind of libertarian-ish con-cons, they're all fully brainwashed into the Constitution nonsense that the con-cons and media push. And all the same kind of warmongering horseshit about saving Israel, our best is best, and the evil Iranians and all this crap. This is all, all 100% about resources and scamming the people. And they just get the military people uh, on average, just to fight for nothing, for fantasies. In the past, as I've said again and again, the people in the military were fighting because they knew if they won, they would get a big reward. That was always the case in the military. That's what stirred people into it. Then they tricked people and started convincing the masses in the Napoleonic era to fight for medals and all this made-up honor and this fantasy. It was just another one of these ways, no different than the way they brought in the vote, to trick people into believing something that wasn't true. And of course, the masses fall for it. The people who are smart enough to figure it out, maybe they're a little more suspicious and they join in for other reasons and they figure out how to get themselves involved in the system and actually to make money off it. And until people understand the way the world actually functions, what these underlying things really are all about, we have no chance. And of course, the average person is never going to have a chance. And it's Quite obvious to me that the brainwashing is way, way, way too intense. The control is way, way, way too great for us to ever, ever overcome it at this point. But you can benefit yourself by understanding the way the thing works. One, just not being fooled and swept along by this nonsense that they push out the, the peasant class. And two, making decisions about how you might actually benefit from it when you actually know what they're doing. And... I certainly don't blame people who want to attempt to try to get in on it. I certainly can see that they're going to build these electronic prisons. There's absolutely nothing stopping it. Absolutely nothing stopping it. And that's where the real war is now. The other wars are just cover. They're inter-sort of mob wars between Russia and China and things like that. They fight about these territories and things like that. But the big war is ultimately now 
a war for the hearts and minds of the people to enslave them in electronic prisons, to then have total control. That's really ultimately what it's about. Because once you have total control, if you can control a population, you don't have to be able to control the individual resources. You already have control of all of them through the people. Because the only thing that threatens control of any of the resources are people anyway. And so the game used to be very, very different when they needed to fill the place with settlers, be able to defend it against a foreign power actually coming in there and bringing their people, like in the United States and everywhere in the Western world, South America the same. They had to defend it against that. And now the game is very different. But for whatever reason, there wasn't a lot of war going on down in South America as much as there was here, even though if people will look into it, they'll see that there was a gigantic war and that Paraguay used to be a huge, huge possession and it got beaten basically at the same time that we had our own civil war. And they shrunk it all back and they kind of killed them because they didn't like what they were doing. The Brits wanted to make sure that thing was a mercantile heaven and Paraguay was gigantic and controlled it and the Brits couldn't control them. So they beat them back. They put them into a little thing, but people can go read about that themselves and see if they can figure it out and see through it once you understand the lens to look at. But my point being, the war I wanted to talk about here is the nature of these old wars during this so-called settlement and expansion in the colonies in the United States and how they're all totally interrelated and how they're all 100% dependent on one thing, and that is land and the attempted acquisition of land and the absurd so-called control of land and the idea that the United States somehow won this and got control and then could send them out and call them U.S. territories inside the Constitution and go out there and survey them. It's utter horseshit. It was owned by other people. There were people living on it. They just went out there and took it. And the United States claimed he owned it because they got it from Britain, which had gotten it from France, which had gotten it from nobody. All of them got it from nobody. And that's what it all rests on, on nothing. And it all rests on force and fraud. That's it. And that's what the revolution was about. It's making sure that the rich people here were the ones who got to control their own destinies as opposed to having to look to England and the crown and those elites on that island who wanted to control all of that land. Like I said, in 1763, you had to start buying it from the king. You could no longer use these other land speculators who'd gotten them from supposed French grants and other things like that. You couldn't just go out there and stake it out yourself. You'd have to worry the king's men would show up and kick you off or force you to pay or something else. That's really what it was all about, people. And this is what war is always about. And everybody who believes and buys in to fairy tales like the American Revolution and fairy tales like the Civil War and fairy tales like World War I and World War II and Vietnam and modern-day terror and the Middle East, all of these things are fairy tales. The Spanish-American War, I've done that huge list of all those Indian wars. No one even knows what they all are. They're all just endlessly uh, lying, cheating, murdering, killing double-crossing in order to get more and more land. That's it. That's all it was actually about. And the actual acquisition, the procedural methods for acquiring and what they did with it was also quite interesting. I'm probably going to do a show about that as well, even though it's really not about war. I just thought it was fascinating because generational wealth is where the control is and the people they're told again and again and again that you got to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and build your own little business and go and become a professional and work hard and elbow grease and all this shit those are all lies and distractions and to make sure that the peasant class never catches on to the fact that the real wealth is generational wealth and that used to be in the form of land even industries themselves are not really great generational wealth because those industries can get destroyed 
Now, industries that are government supported are fantastic generational wealth builders, like the DuPont family that made all sorts of money, all sorts of the big families in America. They made their money from drug trade over in China and war. That's really what they got it from. It was really only land, some railroad, uh, war, and government-supported industries. That's really all these generational wealth things are about. And when you understand generational wealth and where the control comes from, and you understand how they don't let people into it, they want to keep people out, but you can get into it, you can force your way into it, and that's really what these so-called upstart types of people who challenge the throne and the king and all this crap in the past. Ultimately, if the stuff was reframed in a fashion so people could understand it, then they'd see what history was really about. But instead, they're given this lens that's a complete fantasy about what history is about. And as a result, the people never catch on. They never catch on to their real keys about generational wealth. And you don't find it out until it's too late and you don't have an ability to create generational wealth anymore. You don't have the ability. You're just snowed. And that's the plan. And it works very, very well. And I just figured I would tell people, because some people can figure it out. They hear this, they hear it out early enough. They can start doing some things to try to create some for themselves to create a little protection. And it was all set off by that California nonsense because there's so much fake generational uh, uh, kind of mini wealth out there uh, with a bunch of useless mutants who could never have held on to it in the past, but do today because of the protections of government. And the whole thing fits together quite nicely. And I don't know if the show even makes sense together to a lot of people because there's a lot of disparate ideas that I've attempted to bring together here because I don't want to turn into a podcast where I simply go through in detail each one of these legal things. Read the Treaty of Paris to you from 1763. Read the proclamation, the land proclamation. I don't want to do all those things. I want to give people a more of an overview of the way the system works together in this episode regarding war and to make sure people understand that anybody who still believes that the United States was founded because of these ideals, these silly ideals, that's just delusional. If there had never been a problem with the land, we could have just gone out there and gotten it. It would have been fine. The difference was the crown knew if the colonists got too much land, they'd get too powerful and they'd never be able to hold them down because those people knew where wealth came from. And so that's really ultimately what that fight was about. Crown trying to hold on to control of that land expansion. The colonists seeing an opportunity that the crown was so far away, they had a very difficult time holding on to it. They were stretched then having to fight the French all the time and they took their chances and they took their chances and they won. And that's it. And that's really what it's about. And you've got a government basically of uh, thieving murderers who see opportunity to use the people to try to expand their wealth. And anyone can look at government and see that's exactly how it operates today. It's just that it's not about land or railroads or something like that. But it's the exact same concept. That's why Zelensky has mansions all over the world. That's why Biden has multi-million dollar houses everywhere on a senator's salary. It's all fantastic absurdity. And the people just can't see it. And it's because of the massive brainwashing by the constitutional conservatives pushing this fairy tale of a story. So that's all I want to say about it today. And I want to thank people in Patreon who I make this show for. You guys, I really appreciate you. And I hope you get something out of the show because I try to tell people truths they just don't hear other places. And I know that if people will listen to my shows and take them in that they will understand the way the system works and they can really use that to their benefit. Whether or not we can ever throw off this 
unlikely. Yeah, I agree. It's almost impossible. But if you know people that you care about, uh, I think people have the right to hear the truth. Most people will reject it, will never believe it, will call you a kook. They will go right back to their brainwashing because it's just too scary to imagine the other. But to the extent you can get people, it can very much help them because it not only does it save them the time of going in the wrong direction, they can make decisions and go in the right direction. So thank you guys for kicking skin in the game. I do appreciate you. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Legal Man at US Crime Review when I'm there. And Jones Plantation movie, it's still out. I hope people support it. I know it's going to be on Amazon and other major platforms soon. I think as of right now, it's still only on jonesplantationfilm.com, but you can go over there and buy it and watch it. I play Mr. Jones, and it's just a really great movie, and I really hope people enjoy it because it's great baby steps to try to show people, maybe open their eyes to the depth of the fraud that we're dealing with. So go on over there and uh, get some merchandise, a cup, a hat, a shirt, something like that. Buy the movie, show it to some people, and enjoy it. And beyond that, I don't think there's anything else to say, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. You guys have been a great audience as usual. Everybody have a nice night or day wherever you are. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Let's put your hands together one more time for Legal Man.